0: So last week, we started a series, two-part series, on Gideon. And so this is going to be part two. And we looked at this man whose life is found in the book of Judges. And he was a judge in Israel. And over the course of hundreds of years, Israel had gone from great leaders like Joshua and Moses, and then they found themselves all of a sudden without a spiritual leader. So God would send judges to them to bring them back to Himself when they sinned. See, God would, uh, as they turned their backs on Him, God would allow them to feel the consequences of their sin, and then they would cry out to God, and He would send a judge to deliver them, and they'd have peace for a little while until they would eventually reject God again, Rinse and repeat, right? Over and over again, this is what we see. So we opened last week this account of the life of Gideon with him hiding from the Midianites, complaining about how God had forgotten them and how God wouldn't do anything about their struggles. And Gideon said, God, why don't you do something? And God said to Gideon, I did. I made you. And Gideon basically says back to God, who, me? Gideon's stance was, God, why don't you do something? Just don't use me. And God tells Gideon, look, don't worry. I know you aren't strong, but I am. Gideon asks for a sign. He's a nervous guy. He's an anxious guy. And uh, he asks for a sign as if the angel of the Lord coming to him directly face to face isn't enough. But God is patient with Gideon. And he gives him the sign. And God next tells Gideon to go and start at home and to, to tear down an altar to Baal that was on his father's property. But next is the big test. To fight the much, much bigger army of the Midianites. Their oppressors to bring the Israelites into freedom. So Gideon nervously sends the messages out to all the other tribes to build up an army, to anyone that is able to come and fight with them. But Gideon's still nervous, so he asks God for another sign, and God again is patient with Gideon. Gideon lays out this big piece of fleece, right? And he asks God to just have the dew in the morning uh, just be on the fleece and not on the ground. So, God answers that prayer, but Gideon wants another sign. He thought, well, maybe that's just a coincidence. So, God is still patient with anxious Gideon, and next, Gideon asks that the dew would be on the grass and not on the fleece. God does it. And finally, Gideon is satisfied with this answer, at least for now. So, Gideon has this army that he's built up of 32,000 men and they camped close to the Midian army in anticipation of a fight. Gideon was nervous and anxious again, but God assured Gideon that he was on his side. But God still has a little bit of a uh, trick up his sleeve. God wants to be sure that everyone knows that it's not Gideon and his power that would beat the Midianite army, but it is his power alone. So God tells Gideon, Hey, look, your army's too big. Never heard that one before, right? Hey, you got too many people to fight this other country. What? Chapter 8 tells us that the Midian army is 135,000 men. So Gideon's army is already way smaller. It's outnumbered immensely. Gideon only has 32,000. So we catch up here in Judges chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and only 10,000 remained. I'm sure Gideon's like, wait a minute, hold on. God, you did it too much. That was too broad of a category. People that are scared to fight in a battle, that's going to be everybody. And I'm only left with 10,000 people to fight a 135,000-man army. But God still doesn't like those odds. Gideon's army is still too big. So he tells Gideon to take the men to the water and to send home any of those that drink from the spring by putting their face down into the water how many have ever drank out of a lake or you know or a or, or river like that i haven't done that when i was little i there would be times where i drink out of like a pond i probably shouldn't have done that right but i was small just you know eight or ten just running around doing stuff catch a fish and eat it somehow but these people put their face down into the water. But it's not just a small percentage. 9,700 uh, 9, of that 10,000 men do that. It must have been like some cultural thing that they just go all in, right? And Gideon's left with only 300 men now to fight 135,000 men. Now, there was nothing wrong with the 9,700 that went home. God just wanted to show off, Right? God wanted it to be obvious that he could do it with just a small 300-man army. These men that go home eventually are going to help out later on in this story. Well, now we kind of get why, you know, Gideon's getting nervous again, right? He's scared, he's petrified, so God decides to give him one last sign. And he tells Gideon, look, if you need a n- more assurance after me coming and talking to you directly, after the, you know, 57 signs that I've already given you, I'll give you one more. Go down and spy on the Midia, uh, Midianite camp tonight and see what you see. So Gideon goes down with his servant and he hears two Midianite men talking. And one tells the other how he had a dream about this large bread roll coming down a hill and crushing their camp. How many of you like bread? Right? Some of you are probably gluten-free, You know, maybe on an Atkins diet or something like this. This is too much bread. If you've ever wondered how much bread is too much bread, this is too much. If it rolls down the hill and crushes you, that's too much. But the other uh, Midianite man understands that this isn't just a weird dream, Right? The other Midianite man says, look, that means that Gideon's going to crush us. This was a dream talking about Gideon and how that God was going to conquer their army. So Gideon gets his last sign and he's finally ready to trust God no matter what. Remember back at the beginning when Gideon was complaining about how God wasn't doing anything about their pain. What was he doing? He was threshing wheat to make bread in secret because he was worried that they were going to steal the bread from him and his family. And this picture of a large loaf of bread rolling down a hill and crushing the Midianites isn't a coincidence. Proverbs says it this way in Proverbs twenty six twenty seven. He says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it and a stone that will come back on whom starts it rolling. Be careful what traps you lay they might just catch you. So Gideon heard this sign from God, and he worshiped the Lord, and he's like, look, God, I believe again. He returned to his army of 300 men, finally fully confident that the Lord would deliver them from their captors and give them the victory. And this next part takes some real bravery for Gideon and his army. Gideon gives them each a shofar, which is a uh, a horn made out of a ram's horn, you know, a trumpet made out of a ram's horn. He gives them a shofar, a torch, and a clay pot to hide that flame of that torch. And here's a, you know, a a picture. I took it with my phone uh, when this happened. But uh, that'll give you a little picture. He's got the, the ram's horn. He's got torches. And this was after they would break them. And we'll see that here in just a second. So they go down to this camp of the 135,000 Midianites. And they split, this 300 men split into three groups to surround them. And God tells them to blow their trumpets all at once. (laughs) They're all sleeping at this time. And it's going to scare the Midianites out of their sleep. And as they wake up, the Israelites smash their jars to reveal the 300 torches all around them. As they wake up. And then they blow their trumpet loudly again and yell, the sword of the Lord, and for Gideon. How many of you have ever been startled out of sleep before, right? Uh, There was a time when, I I might have even told you about this before, but that's because of how traumatic it was. Uh, As a child at church camp, one of our counselors thought it would be funny if they put a pot on my head and woke me up that way, bang, 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 you know, that'll scare you to death traumatized me i still can't cook stew to this day (laughs) another time that i was startled awake was when i was married and we had a four-year-old little girl and she was staring at me in the middle of the night a foot away from my face scare you to death well the midianites are startled And they're confused and it's dark and they're surrounded and it's loud and they're disoriented and they're running away and start fighting each other. They feel like they're surrounded and the enemy's already amongst them. Gideon's men start chasing them and he he called out for help from the other tribes. Most of them would have been people he already sent home. They had the enemy on the run. And at this point, between Gideon's men fighting and the Midianites killing each other, there were only 15,000 men of the Midianites left, which still is not great odds, 300 against 15,000. As they pursued the rest of the Midianites, his 300 men are exhausted and they're hungry. So Gideon stops and asks his allies in Succoth and Peniel, these two cities, for bread. But they don't help him. They're not sure that Gideon and his 300 men are going to win this battle, so they don't want to hedge their bets on the 300. They're like, "Eh, I don't know if I want to get involved. They don't help him. They even go as far as mocking them. Well, Gideon is furious. He's like, I'm trying to fight this battle for you, and you won't even help me out here? Gideon just had the biggest success in his whole life. And his 300 men had bravely and courageously followed him into battle. And they needed food. So Gideon promises these cities, when he's done chasing the Midianites, he's going to come back. He's going to teach them a lesson. Now, just for a minute, ignore the fact that Gideon himself wasn't so confident in himself like 10,000 times as he asked for signs and wanted to get out of this. But Gideon goes and defeats the last of the Midianites, and he angrily marches back to these cities of Succoth and Penuel, and we see that in chapter 8, verse 16. He took the elders, and he took the thorns of the wilderness and briars with them, and taught the men of Succoth a lesson. That's probably the like, nicest way you could say that, right? He, he takes these thorns and briars, and he like tortures these guys. Verse uh, the next verse says, he broke down in Penuel a whole tower, and he killed the men of the city. Now, it's no coincidence that God is not mentioned as leading Gideon in these passages like he was so often before. Gideon before was asking for signs and asking God to direct him, and he's no longer doing that. And it appears that he has gone from a man that was asking, who, me. now saying don't you know who i am now should his allies have helped him absolutely but god told him to attack the midianites and we find him here killing and torturing some of his own people in a fit of vengeance da carson says this he says gideon's humility and caution completely disappeared And in marked contrast to the earlier phase of Gideon's career, there's no longer any reference to the Lord being involved in what he does. It's clear that now what he achieves is by his own strength of character and tactical skill, not reliance upon the Lord. This may seem counterintuitive, but insecurity and pride are two sides of the same coin, Pride lashes out when someone questions what I am insecure about. And the truth is, look, Gideon didn't think he was the right person to fight this battle in the first place. He was scared to death that he couldn't win. So much so that he asked for sign after sign after sign after sign. But here, once God starts to use him to do something big, the first person that disrespects him and questions whether they could finish this fight, he lashes out in vengeance. It appears that Gideon has forgotten who really deserved the credit for this battle being won. And it shows in his actions next. After this huge victory here, the people of Israel, they're you know, enamored with Gideon. He's a celebrity, and they try to make him king, even though they had never had a king before. And the reason they didn't have a king was because God wanted them to be different than the other nations. See, God was supposed to be their king. And they had seen this country, had seen the other, uh, uh, you know, Israel had seen the other countries around them and how they had a king. And they're like, I want a king too. And Gideon, you just won this gigantic battle for us. Why don't you be king? But Gideon had enough sense not to directly disobey God by allowing himself to be crowned king. But he does do something else. Gideon said to them in verse 23 of chapter 8, he says, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Okay, that's all good. And Gideon said to them further, though, he says, let me make a request of you. Every one of you, give me the earring from his spoil, for they had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, we willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw its earrings in the spoil. Verse 27 goes on and says, Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in the city of Orpherah. And all of Israel whored after it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Gideon said, hey, look, I'm not going to be your king, but bring me some gold. And Gideon made an ephod. Now, an ephod is a priestly vest that was adorned with jewels. And here's, again, a a picture I took of it. There it is. No, just kidding. (laughs) That joke only works once, I guess. Uh, (laughs) But uh, there was only supposed to be one ephod that God commanded to be made. And it was only to be worn by the priest in the tabernacle. So Gideon chose to make something he shouldn't have made and put it in a place that it didn't belong. And in doing so, he put himself in a place of religious authority that God hadn't given him. So Israel began to look to Gideon and this ephod for spiritual guidance, and they were unfaithful to God. They began to worship this ephod. Even though Gideon had technically refused the crown, it seems like he practically does become their spiritual king. He even goes as far as naming one of his sons Abimelech, which literally means, my father is king. He also makes the mistake of thinking it's okay to have a bunch of wives and concubines. He literally has 70 sons. That's too many. I've got two kids. Some of you got more. 70 is too many. But this practice of polygamy would have been common in the surrounding countries, and the kings would have a harem. But even though some of the leaders in the Bible did it, God never condones it, and it always causes trouble. And the same thing happens here. See, the power had gone to Gideon's head, and he is setting himself and his family up to be a dynasty. He believes that his sons are going to rule over uh, Israel, even though he had said in the beginning when they first tried to make him king, that he wouldn't let his sons rule. After Gideon's death, his son Abimelech, whose name means, my father is king, declares himself king, and he kills his 69 other brothers to consolidate power, perhaps even as human sacrifices. This thing has gone sideways. And the people of Israel, they began to mix in Baal worship with being a follower of God, and it's terrible. Everything goes bad. After years of peace, everything falls apart. Partially because the guy who first said who? Me? Began to believe that he was something. And that he was in a place that he could disobey God and be okay. God had purposely took his army from 32,000 to 300 so that they wouldn't forget that it was God that did it and that God deserves the praise, not them. They still forgot. They still turned away from God and disobeyed. The first thing they wanted to do was make Gideon their king and they began to worship this ephod and then they uh, mix in Baal worship too all because Gideon had went from, God, I can't do this without you, I'm scared to death because I know how weak I am, to all of a sudden, I did it. And I deserve to allow myself to put myself in a place of power that I shouldn't. Once again, further proof that the Bible is absolutely authentic is that it shows us these flaws of these men that we call heroes in Sunday school we might have said I want to be like Gideon well which one right the one that was scared and doubted God or maybe the one that finally put all his faith in God and had courage or the one that bought into his own story forgot who he was forgot how it was all about God and ruined his life and 69 of his sons were killed Because one of his sons thought he should be king. There are a lot of parallels between the life of Gideon and the life of King Saul. We see with both, they started off humble and thought they were inadequate. But then, as they had success, they fell in love with power and praise and thought they deserved things that were outside of God's will. And they thought that it was their role to take the place of the priest. And it ruined their lives. if we aren't careful we can follow this pattern i remember the first time someone asked me to teach a sunday school lesson i was like 17 years old scared to death and i'm sure it was terrible but i was acutely aware that i couldn't do it without god's help 20 years later if i'm not careful I can think that it's about my gifts and my experiences, my talents. Don't these people know who I am? Why haven't I been asked to speak there or to do this or to serve in this way? And it's easy for us to buy into our own hype when God gives us little blessings. But pride comes before the fall. Don't buy into your own story. I still need God's help as much as that scared little teenage boy. Each of us must remember who we are. God knows who we are, and He tells us in Psalms 103.13. It says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him, for He knows our frame. And He remembers that we are dust. God knows who we are without Him. And He loves us. And He wants to use us. But don't forget who formed and fashioned you and breathed life into you and gave you every good thing that you've ever had. Every breath, every talent, everything that is good in your life has come from heaven. And the only thing that you actually deserve is hell. But God commended His love towards us. And even though we were sinners... Christ died for us. It is all because of Jesus. Don't buy into your own hype. Don't buy into your own story. Don't believe the lie of pride that people ought to know who you are. Pride is just insecurity in disguise. Tim Keller warns us of this. He says there's a terrible spiritual danger involved in the receiving of any blessing. Success can easily cause us to forget God's grace because our hearts are desperate to believe that we can save ourselves. God given victory can easily be used to confirm the belief that, in fact, we have earned blessing for ourselves and should receive the praise and glory for that success. We've seen this happen in pastors across America. God uses them to do something big, and they begin to think that they are the reason, and they buy into their own story, and the fact that they're men of God, and then they fall and ruin their lives and hurt hundreds of people, because they took their eyes off of why they are where they are. Whatever good thing you have is not earned. You didn't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. God blessed you. Anything you have is because he gave it to you. Your wife, your kids, your job, your house, don't be like Gideon and set yourself up as a pseudo king thinking that you deserve to do things your way and that you're fine now without God's guidance. Now look, Gideon was extremely brave and he did an amazing thing, but he did it when he Absolutely remembered that he couldn't do it without God. J.D. Greer said, God doesn't call the brave, he makes brave the called. And God can do that with you too. There are aspects of Gideon's life that we can learn from, and it's awesome. And that God can do extraordinary things with your weakness. But the Bible also says that he rejects the proud. There's not really anything, you know, if you play basketball, not really anything more humiliating, especially as a short person, I'm not me. I'm talking about other people that are short. Uh, But to go up for a layup and for someone just to reject you, right? Man that hurts. Jared did it to somebody the other day and he actually was real tall. (laughs) You should have seen the just smile on Jared's face. God rejects the proud. The Bible says he gives grace to the humble. Somehow Gideon went from, I can't do this without you, God, to I did it. This is about me. I've earned this. Gideon was so much better when he knew how weak he was. And when he knew that if there was going to be a victory, it was only because of God. Then he forgot it was only by God's grace that he was where he was. Don't make that same mistake. If you've been in church for a long time and God's used you to do some things, sometimes we can look around and think, well, everybody ought to give me respect and everybody ought to to listen to my opinion. I've been here a while. I know what I'm talking about. And we can do the same thing as Gideon and put ourselves in a place that we don't deserve to be in. Because we forget it wasn't about me. If God's ever used me to do anything, it's because of his power. And God used my weakness to show how strong he was. Gideon's failures didn't erase his victories. He had some big victories in his life. But things could have been so much better if he remembered who he was. And you need him every day too. Just as much as you needed him back when you knew you couldn't do it without Him. God's grace is essential for us when we fail. But God's grace is also essential for us when we succeed, lest we be tempted to worship an idol of ourselves. Every head's bowed and eyes closed. It's time at the end of The message is a time for us to reflect not on what Pastor Phil said, but on what God spoke to your heart about. If you're anything like me, you got to constantly shove your flesh back into that grave. Constantly remember that I am just a sinner, but Christ loved me so much. And God can do things with me but it's not because of me. Let's take a few minutes to center ourselves. Remember who we are, that we are dust that's been breathed into. And every good thing we have is from God. We put uh, at the end of your pew, we put a little piece of paper. And you should hopefully have some pencils in the front of your pew there too. And I told you last communion that we're really going to focus on communion Sunday on prayer. So we gave you that piece of paper and we, hopefully you have that pencil there. You can pass it down to somebody there at the end. But here's our hope is that you would write down 10 things that God has blessed you with. There's hundreds and thousands of them, but that you would write down 10. We're going to play a song, uh, and and as we play this song and the lyrics speak to our hearts about how we need to be thankful for what He's done for us, let's take some time. Whether you want to pray alone or you want to pray with the person you came with, that's great. Well let's just thank God and center ourselves on why we have what we have. Not because we earned it, but because it was given to us. And that because we've been given much, that God requires much of us. So we're going to play that song. We're going to take about five minutes to pray. So last week we started a series, two-part series, on Gideon. And so this is going to be part two. And we looked at this man whose life is found in the book of Judges. And he was a judge in Israel. And over the course of hundreds of years, Israel had gone from great leaders like Joshua and Moses, and then they found themselves all of a sudden without a spiritual leader. So God would send judges to them to bring them back to himself when they sinned see god would uh as they turn their backs on him god would allow them to feel the consequences of their sin and then they would cry out to god and he would send a judge to deliver them and they'd have peace for a little while until they would eventually reject god again rinse and repeat right over and over again this is what we see So we opened last week this account of the life of Gideon with him hiding from the Midianites, complaining about how God had forgotten them and how God wouldn't do anything about their struggles. And Gideon said, God, why don't you do something? And God said to Gideon, I did. I made you. And Gideon basically says back to God, who, me? Gideon's stance was, God, why don't you do something? Just don't use me. And God tells Gideon, look, don't worry. I know you aren't strong, but I am. Gideon asks for a sign. He's a nervous guy. He's an anxious guy. And uh, he asks for a sign as if the angel of the Lord coming to him directly face to face isn't enough. But God is patient with Gideon and he gives him the sign. And God next tells Gideon to go and start at home and to, to tear down an altar to Baal that was on his father's property. But next is the big test, to fight the much, much bigger army of the Midianites, their oppressors, to bring the Israelites into freedom. So Gideon nervously sends messages out to all the other tribes to build up an army, anyone that is able to come and fight with them. But Gideon's still nervous. So he asks God for another sign. And God, again, is patient with Gideon. Gideon lays out this big piece of fleece, right? And he asks God to just have the dew in the morning uh, just be on the fleece and not on the ground. So God answers that prayer. But Gideon wants another sign. He thought, well, maybe that's just a coincidence. So God is still patient with anxious Gideon. And next, Gideon asked that the dew would be on the grass and not on the fleece. God does it. And finally, Gideon is satisfied with this answer, at least for now. So Gideon has this army that he's built up of 32,000 men. And they camped close to the Midian army in anticipation of a fight. Gideon was nervous and anxious again. But God assured Gideon that he was on his side. But God still has a little bit of a uh, trick up his sleeve. God wants to be sure that everyone knows that it's not Gideon and his power that would beat the Midianite army, but it is his power alone. So God tells Gideon, hey, look, your army's too big. Never heard that one before, right? Hey, you got too many people to fight this other country. What? Chapter 8 tells us that the Midian army is 135,000 men. So Gideon's army is already way smaller. It's outnumbered immensely. Gideon only has 32,000. So we catch up here in Judges chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands, lest Israel boast. Over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and only 10,000 remained. I'm sure Gideon's like, Wait a minute, hold on. God, you did it too much. That was too broad of a category. People that are scared to fight in a battle, that's going to be everybody. And I'm only left with 10,000 people to fight a 135,000-man army. But God still doesn't like those odds. Gideon's army is still too big. So he tells Gideon to take the men to the water. And to send home any of those that drink from the spring by putting their face down into the water. How many have ever drank out of a lake or a you know, or, or, or river like that? I haven't, haven't done that. When I was little, I, there would be times where I'd drink out of like a pond. I probably shouldn't have done that, right? But I was small, just you know, eight or ten, just running around, doing stuff, catch a fish and eat it somehow. But these people put their face down into the water. But it's not just a small percentage. uh, 9,700 of that 10,000 men do that. It must have been like some cultural thing that they just go all in. Right? And Gideon's left with only 300 men now... ...to fight 135,000 men. Now, there was nothing wrong with the 9,700 that went home. God just wanted to show off. Right? God wanted to be obvious... That, he could do it with just a small 300-man army. These men that go home eventually are going to help out later on in this story. Well, now we kind of get why you know, Gideon's getting nervous again, right? He's scared, he's petrified, so God decides to give him one last sign. And he tells Gideon, look, if you need a n- more assurance after me coming and talking to you directly, after the, you know, 57 signs that I've already given you, I'll give you one more. Go down and spy on the Midian, uh, Midianite camp tonight and see what you see. So Gideon goes down with his servant and he hears two Midianite men talking. And one tells the other how he had a dream about this large bread roll coming down a hill and crushing their camp. How many of you like bread? Right? Some of you are probably gluten-free, You know, maybe on an Atkins diet or something like this. This is too much bread. If you've ever wondered how much bread is too much bread, this is too much. If it rolls down the hill and crushes you, that's too much. But the other uh, Midianite man understands that this isn't just a weird dream, Right? The other Midianite man says, look, that means that Gideon's going to crush us. This was a dream talking about Gideon and how that God was going to conquer their army. So Gideon gets his last sign and he's finally ready to trust God no matter what. Remember back at the beginning when Gideon was complaining about how God wasn't doing anything about their pain. What was he doing? He was threshing wheat to make bread in secret because he was worried that they were going to steal the bread from him and his family and this picture of a large loaf of bread rolling down a hill and crushing the midianites isn't a coincidence proverbs says it this way in proverbs 26 27 he says whoever digs a pit will fall into it and a stone that will come back on whom starts it rolling be careful what traps you lay." They might just catch you. So Gideon heard this sign from God, and he worshiped the Lord, and he's like, look, God, I believe again. He returned to his army of 300 men, finally fully confident that the Lord would deliver them from their captors and give them the victory. This next part takes some real bravery for Gideon and his army. Gideon gives them each a shofar, which is a uh, a horn made out of a ram's horn. You know, a trumpet made out of a ram's horn. He gives them a shofar, a torch, and a clay pot to hide that flame of that torch. And here's a, you know, a a picture. I took it with my phone uh, when this happened. But uh, that'll give you a little picture. He's got the, the ram's horn. He's got torches. And this was after they would break them. And we'll see that here in just a second. So they go down to this camp of the 135,000 Midianites. And they split, this 300 men split into three groups to surround them. And God tells them to blow their trumpets all at once. (laughs) They're all sleeping at this time. And it's going to scare the Midianites out of their sleep. And as they wake up, the Israelites smash their jars to reveal the 300 torches all around them. As they wake up. And then they blow their trumpet loudly again and yell, the sword of the Lord, and for Gideon. How many have ever been startled out of sleep before? Right? Uh, There was a time when, I I might have even told you about this before, but that's because of how traumatic it was. Uh, As a child at church camp, one of our counselors thought it would be funny if they put a pot on my head and woke me up that way. Bang, bang, bang. You know, that'll scare you to death traumatized me i still can't cook stew to this day (laughs) another time that i was startled awake was when i was married and we had a four-year-old little girl and she was staring at me in the middle of the night a foot away from my face scare you to death well the midianites are startled And they're confused and it's dark and they're surrounded and it's loud and they're disoriented and they're running away and start fighting each other. They feel like they're surrounded and the enemy's already amongst them. Gideon's men start chasing them and he he called out for help from the other tribes. Most of them would have been people he already sent home. They had the enemy on the run. And at this point, between Gideon's men fighting and the Midianites killing each other, they were only 15,000 men of the Midianites left, which still is not great odds, 300 against 15,000. As they pursued the rest of the Midianites, his 300 men are exhausted and they're hungry. So Gideon stops and asks his allies in Succoth and Peniel, these two cities, for bread. But they don't help him. And they're not sure that Gideon and his 300 men are going to win this battle so they don't want to hedge their bets on the 300 they're like "Eh, I don't know if I want to get involved they don't help him. they even go as far as mocking them well Gideon is furious he's like I'm trying to fight this battle for you and you won't even help me out here Gideon just had the biggest success in his whole life, and his 300 men had bravely and courageously followed him into battle, and they needed food. So Gideon promises these cities, when he's done chasing the Midianites, he's going to come back, he's going to teach them a lesson. Now, just for a minute, ignore the fact that Gideon himself wasn't so confident in himself like 10,000 times as he asked for signs and wanted to get out of this. But Gideon goes and defeats the last of the Midianites, and he angrily marches back to these cities of Succoth and Penuel. And we see that in chapter 8, verse 16. He took the elders, and he took the thorns of the wilderness and briars with them, and taught the men of Succoth the lesson. That's probably the like, nicest way you could say that, right? He, he takes these thorns and briars, and he like tortures these guys. Verse uh, the next verse says, he broke down in Penuel a whole tower, and he killed the men of the city. Now, it's no coincidence that God is not mentioned as leading Gideon in these passages like he was so often before. Gideon before was asking for signs and asking God to direct him, and he's no longer doing that. And it appears that he has gone from a man that was asking, who, me to now saying, don't you know who I am? Now, should his allies have helped him? Absolutely. But God told him to attack the Midianites, and we find him here killing and torturing some of his own people in a fit of vengeance. D.A. Carson says this. He says, Gideon's humility and caution completely disappeared. And in marked contrast to the earlier phase of Gideon's career, there's no longer any reference to the Lord being involved in what he does. It's clear that now what he achieves is by his own strength of character and tactical skill, not reliance upon the Lord. This may seem counterintuitive, but insecurity and pride are two sides of the same coin pride lashes out when someone questions what i am insecure about and the truth is look gideon didn't think he was the right person to fight this battle in the first place he was scared to death that he couldn't win so much so that he asked for sign after sign after sign after sign but here once god starts to use him to do something big the first person that disrespects him and questions whether they could finish this fight he lashes out in vengeance it appears that Gideon has forgotten who really deserved the credit for this battle being won. And it shows in his actions next. After this huge victory here, the people of Israel, they're you know, enamored with Gideon. He's a celebrity, and they try to make him king, even though they had never had a king before. And the reason they didn't have a king was because God wanted them to be different Than the other nations. See, God was supposed to be their king. And they had seen this country, had seen the other, uh, uh, you know, Israel had seen the other countries around them and how they had a king. And they're like, I want a king too. And Gideon, you just won this gigantic battle for us. Why don't you be king? But Gideon had enough sense not to directly disobey God by allowing himself to be crowned king. But he does do something else. Gideon said to them in verse 23 of chapter 8, he says, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Okay, that's all good. And Gideon said to them further, though, he says, let me make a request of you. Every one of you, give me the earring from his spoil. For they had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, we willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw its earrings in the spoil. Verse 27 goes on and says, Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in the city of Orpherah. And all of Israel whored after it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Gideon said, hey, look, I'm not going to be your king, but bring me some gold. And Gideon made an ephod. Now, an ephod is a priestly vest that was adorned with jewels. And here's, again, a picture I took of it. There it is. No, just kidding. That joke only works once, I guess. Uh, (laughs) But uh, there was only supposed to be one ephod that God commanded to be made, and it was only to be worn by the priest in the tabernacle. So Gideon chose to make something he shouldn't have made and put it in a place that it didn't belong. And in doing so, he put himself in a place of religious authority that God hadn't given him. So Israel began to look to Gideon and this ephod for spiritual guidance, and they were unfaithful to God. They began to worship this ephod. Even though Gideon had technically refused the crown, it seems like he practically does become their spiritual king. He even goes as far as naming one of his sons Abimelech, which literally means, my father is king. He also makes the mistake of thinking it's okay to have a bunch of wives and concubines. He literally has 70 sons. That's too many. I've got two kids. Some of you got more. 70 is too many. But this practice of polygamy would have been common in the surrounding countries, and the kings would have a harem. But even though some of the leaders in the Bible did it, God never condones it, and it always causes trouble. And the same thing happens here. See, the power had gone to Gideon's head, and he is setting himself and his family up to be a dynasty. He believes that his sons are going to rule over uh, Israel, even though he had said in the beginning when they first tried to make him king that he wouldn't let his sons rule. After Gideon's death, his son Abimelech, whose name means my father is king, declares himself king, and he kills his 69 other brothers to consolidate power, perhaps even as human sacrifices. This thing has gone sideways. And the people of Israel, they began to mix in Baal worship with being a follower of God, and it's terrible. Everything goes bad. After years of peace, everything falls apart, partially because the guy who first said, who, me, began to believe that he was something, and that he was in a place that he could disobey God and be okay. God had purposely took his army from 32,000 to 300 so that they wouldn't forget that it was God that did it and that God deserves the praise, not them. They still forgot. They still turned away from God and disobeyed. The first thing they wanted to do was make Gideon their king and they began to worship this ephod and then they uh, mix in Baal worship too. All because Gideon had went from God, I can't do this without you. I'm scared to death because I know how weak I am. To all of a sudden, I did it. And I deserve to allow myself to put myself in a place of power that I shouldn't. Once again, further proof that the Bible is absolutely authentic is that it shows us these flaws of these men that we call heroes in Sunday school we might have said I want to be like Gideon well which one right the one that was scared and doubted God or maybe the one that finally put all his faith in God and had courage or the one that bought into his own story forgot who he was forgot how it was all about God and ruined his life and 69 of his sons were killed Because one of his sons thought he should be king. There are a lot of parallels between the life of Gideon and the life of King Saul. We see with both they started off humble and thought they were inadequate. But then as they had success, they fell in love with power and praise. And thought they deserved things that were outside of God's will. And they thought that it was their role to take the place of the priest. And it ruined their lives. And if we aren't careful we can follow this pattern i remember the first time someone asked me to teach a sunday school lesson i was like 17 years old scared to death and i'm sure it was terrible but i was acutely aware that i couldn't do it without god's help 20 years later if i'm not careful I can think that it's about my gifts and my experiences, my talents. Don't these people know who I am? Why haven't I been asked to speak there or to do this or to serve in this way? And it's easy for us to buy into our own hype when God gives us little blessings. But pride comes before the fall. Don't buy into your own story. I still need God's help as much as that scared little teenage boy. Each of us must remember who we are. God knows who we are, and He tells us in Psalms 103.13. It says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him, for He knows our frame. And He remembers that we are dust. God knows who we are without Him. And He loves us. And He wants to use us. But don't forget who formed and fashioned you and breathed life into you and gave you every good thing that you've ever had. Every breath, every talent, everything that is good in your life has come from heaven. And the only thing that you actually deserve is hell. But God commended His love towards us. And even though we were sinners... Christ died for us. It is all because of Jesus. Don't buy into your own hype. Don't buy into your own story. Don't believe the lie of pride that people ought to know who you are. Pride is just insecurity in disguise. Tim Keller warns us of this. He says there's a terrible spiritual danger involved in the receiving of any blessing. Success can easily cause us to forget God's grace because our hearts are desperate to believe that we can save ourselves. God given victory can easily be used to confirm the belief that, in fact, we have earned blessing for ourselves and should receive the praise and glory for that success. We've seen this happen in pastors across America. God uses them to do something big, and they begin to think that they are the reason, and they buy into their own story, and the fact that they're men of God, and then they fall and ruin their lives and hurt hundreds of people, because they took their eyes off of why they are where they are. Whatever good thing you have is not earned. You didn't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. God blessed you. Anything you have is because he gave it to you. Your wife, your kids, your job, your house. Don't be like Gideon and set yourself up as a pseudo king thinking that you deserve to do things your way and that you're fine now without God's guidance. Now look, Gideon was extremely brave and he did an amazing thing, but he did it when he Absolutely remembered that he couldn't do it without God. J.D. Greer said, God doesn't call the brave, he makes brave the called. And God can do that with you too. There are aspects of Gideon's life that we can learn from, and it's awesome. And that God can do extraordinary things with your weakness. But the Bible also says that he rejects the proud. There's not really anything, you know, if you play basketball. Not really anything more humiliating, especially as a short person. I'm not me. I'm talking about other people that are short. Uh, but to go up for a layup and for someone just to reject you, right? Man, that hurts. Jared did it to somebody the other day, and he actually was real tall. <laughs> you should have seen the just smile on Jared's face. God rejects the proud. The Bible says he gives grace to the humble. Somehow Gideon went from, I can't do this without you, God, to I did it. This is about me. I've earned this. Gideon was so much better when he knew how weak he was. And when he knew that if there was going to be a victory, it was only because of God. But then he forgot it was only by God's grace that he was where he was. Don't make that same mistake. If you've been in church for a long time and God's used you to do some things, sometimes we can look around and think, well, everybody ought to give me respect and everybody ought to to listen to my opinion. I've been here a while. I know what I'm talking about. And we can do the same thing as Gideon and put ourselves in a place that we don't deserve to be in. Because we forget it wasn't about me. If God's ever used me to do anything, it's because of his power. And God used my weakness to show how strong he was. Gideon's failures didn't erase his victories. He had some big victories in his life. But things could have been so much better if he remembered who he was. And you need him every day too. Just as much as you needed him back when you knew you couldn't do it without him. God's grace is essential for us when we fail. But God's grace is also essential for us when we succeed. Lest we be tempted to worship an idol of ourselves. Every head's bowed and eyes closed. It's time at the end of the message is a time for us to reflect. Not on what Pastor Phil said, but on what God spoke to your heart about. If you're anything like me, you gotta constantly shove your flesh back into that grave. Constantly remember that I am just a sinner, but Christ loved me so much. And God can do things with me but it's not because of me. Let's take a few minutes to center ourselves. Remember who we are, that we are dust that's been breathed into. And every good thing we have is from God. We put uh, at the end of your pew, we put a little piece of paper. And you should hopefully have some pencils in the front of your pew there too. And I told you last communion that we're really going to focus on communion Sunday on prayer. So we gave you that piece of paper and we, hopefully you have that pencil there. You can pass it down to somebody there at the end. But here's our hope is that you would write down 10 things that God has blessed you with. There's hundreds and thousands of them, but that you would write down 10. We're going to play a song, uh, and and as we play this song and the lyrics speak to our hearts about how we need to be thankful for what He's done for us, let's take some time. Whether you want to pray alone or you want to pray with the person you came with, that's great. Well, let's just thank God and center ourselves on why we have what we have. Not because we earned it, but because it was given to us. And that because we've been given much, that God requires much of us. So we're going to play that song. We're going to take about five minutes to pray.